Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Mick Hollison, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at Inside Sales, which helps you make more money. Uh, and I'm gonna let Mick explain exactly what, what, what they do um, in, a, in a second. But um, you know, besides being CMO at Inside Sales, uh, you know, Mick is also, was also the Director of Sales at IBM, uh, VP of Mar- Marketing at Citrix, which is uh, worth over $2.6 billion, uh, also Director of Enterprise Marketing at uh, Microsoft. Mick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for being on the show. So, yeah, you know, why don't we start it off with, uh, with your background first? I mean, you have a lot of experience here, so we'd love to hear about it. Great. Sure. Yeah. Uh, very, varied background, to say the least. So, uh, spent uh, the better part of 13 years with a combination of Lotus and IBM, and so got to go on a very fun ride uh, there. Then uh, moved, moved west out to Seattle and was the director of enterprise marketing at uh, at Microsoft, where I got to run some very fun events, the, the Microsoft CEO Summit and CSO Summit, so some, some great events there. And then went on to, to lead uh, product management, product marketing teams at Citrix, and, uh, and ultimately was the, was the acting CMO there before taking on the inside sales role as, as CMO. So it's been a uh, fun journey thus far. All right, great. So yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about inside sales? You know, what do you guys do exactly? Great. Yeah. So inside sales uh, makes, you know, as you broadly put it, sales acceleration software. So uh, we're cloud-based, SaaS-based, business-to-business software provider. And we really make uh, tools and software that fits into four unique categories. For the, so the first one is communication. So we enable you to communicate rapidly and effectively with your customers, whether that's via telephony or, or email or text messages, whatever communication mechanism may work best. Uh, we also offer gamification uh, technologies and uh, employee motivation technologies uh, for motivating your sales teams. And then uh, in addition to that, we offer uh, kind of as the underpinning to all of them, a very robust predictive analytics engine that helps you to sort and prioritize which leads to call, when, at what time, and, and so forth. And last but certainly not least is a, is a set of visualization capabilities that allow you to see what's happening in real time in your sales process. Got it. Okay. You know, with things like this, I think it's always good to, you know, talk about specific numbers or case studies or anything like that. Do you have any numbers you can share off the top of your head? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, uh, a lot of our advertising speaks to this one, one of our larger enterprise companies, uh, that, that utilize our software, a large payroll processing firm in the, in the Northeast experienced about 30% top line revenue growth out of their inside sales team in the first 90 days of implementation. Um, you know, more recently you and I had an opportunity to meet at the growth beat conference, um, the venture beat conference in San Francisco and, uh, Russ Hurl, a, uh, gentleman that runs client team there at uh, double Dutch spoke about their 300% revenue growth over 18 months. And while not all of that could be attributed to inside sales, obviously it says a lot about Russ and, uh, and his products as well. A big portion of it, uh, he definitely credits to implementing inside sales tools. Got it. Okay. And can you can you define you know what inside sales you know what that term actually means? Yeah, it's a great question actually because uh, for us it's a real simple term. It's uh, it's professional sales done remotely. So it, it's not B two C. It's not telemarketers calling you during dinner at uh, you know six or seven o'clock at night. Uh, it's very much professional B two B selling, but it's done from a location. Uh, other than face to face, so you know one could say uh, I'm doing a little bit of it right now. As a matter of fact, so any any form of selling that takes place virtually 
uh, would really qualify as what we call inside sales. So it doesn't have to be conducted in a, a, a large sales pit kind of a thing that, uh, that you might envision. All right, and I think the inside sales, you know, that that whole the whole we'll call it a movement is really interesting. I, I think you know, for people in the audience that want to learn more about inside sales, um, inside sales has a has a YouTube channel that has a lot of really helpful webinars that explain, uh, you know, different processes such as how to build a sales team, even you know how to set up inside sales and things like that. Um, so you know, definitely check that out. Um, so in terms of in terms of number of customers you guys have today, I know you guys have been growing very rapidly. I mean, can you talk about number of customers and you know ballpark numbers for for revenues? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a a, a rough sense anyway. So uh, uh, we we just recently took a a fairly large Series C round, a one hundred million dollars Series C round, and that was obviously to invest in the in the future of the company. And the company was founded all the way back in '04. It was bootstrapped all the way through 2012. The back end of 2012, we took a small Series A, uh, and then in early 2013, took a $35 million Series B, uh, led by a combination of U.S. venture partners and Hummer Winblad. This most recent $100 million round was led by uh, Polaris Ventures, as well as uh, Kleiner Perkins, so a couple wow. of big names uh, in venture. And a lot of what they saw in the company was just massive growth. This is uh, We're working on our fourth straight year of 100% top-line revenue growth. Um, or greater. And uh, when I joined the company, with about 162 employees, we're now at 450 plus and, and I hope to be close to 700 by the end of this year. And in terms of customers, um, we now have approaching 2,000 total um, companies that are utilizing our, uh, our software at this point in time. And uh, we don't disclose revenues um, publicly, um, but uh, you can probably back into a little bit of the math if you uh, read enough of the history uh, on us to, to figure it out. So very, very successful, um, you know, still a relatively early stage company based out of what we like to refer to as uh, Silicon Slopes, Utah. All right. Fair answer on the revenue. Cool. So, you know, this 100, 100, you know, 100% year over year growth, I mean, you know, what percent of that and I'm asking this question because a lot of the audience, you know, typically marketers. Um, so, what percent of that is attributed to, you know, inside sales, and what percent is attributed more to marketing? Yeah, um, it's a great question because it depends on what organization that you look uh, look to. Because in many organizations, the lead qualification, business development, or sales development reps actually report into the marketing organization. In some, they report into the sales organization. So, according to serious decisions, about 60% of the time, the lead qual folks report into marketing and the other 40% of the time they report into, they report into sales. Um, all, of, all of that said, obviously the closers side of things is, uh, is on sales and one of the big belief systems we have as a company is in specializing your reps and it's really, really important we think to, to distinguish between those that are qualifying your leads and those that are going to try to close on those leads. Got it. You know. That brings up another interesting question. So, I mean, you know, for, for, for you guys, and this is not a one-size-fit-all, but I think it's helpful to, you know, ask this question. I mean, how long does it take you guys to onboard a new, you know, sales development representative which just focuses on qualifying or yeah, prospecting? It's a terrific question. Um, and we have a pretty, uh, a pretty rich ramp for our reps, as you can imagine, with the kind of growth numbers and employees that I talked to you about earlier. We're constantly in a state of hiring, especially for these sales development reps. Um, we've found, depending on what market segment they're responsible for, um, it's, it can be as short as 60 to 90 uh, days as we look out into um, mid-market and enterprise type of reps. 
we, we tend to look at uh, you know 120 or longer. So our enterprise reps, typically it's a six-month uh, kind of a ramp period. But for those small business reps doing qualification of more transactional type of, uh, of, of potential buyers, it tends to be in the 60 to 90-day range. 60 to 90 days. Got it. Okay, cool. So, you know, what's one unique thing? What's one unique thing you guys are doing today to acquire new customers? Yeah, um, I think we're doing a lot of unique things actually. But um, you know, we uh, are very, very big believers in uh, in events and also in the immediacy of responding to uh, to leads. So um, we will be out in big time force at Dreamforce this year. So see you there. Yeah, you'll yeah you'll definitely see us there with uh, in spades. You'll uh, you'll have a hard time not seeing us. In fact, uh, pretty much any U.S. domestic carrier will be showing a, a video from us, typically right after the the safety videos, and then you'll land in San Francisco Airport, and we're going to have a lot of uh, things to say there. A bunch of taxi cabs picking you up in San Francisco, and ultimately booths in both halls at Moscone. So uh, we're big trade show and event people. We're very aggressive uh, sales culture ourselves. And so uh, we tend to get outsized results out of those type of events compared to a lot of our, our contemporaries. So that's one big thing you'll see us continue to step up our, our involvement in. Um, but uh, in addition to that, just on sort of the day-to-day marketing uh, and trying to you know, put people into the funnel in the first place, we're real big believers in, uh, in the immediacy of responding to, to, to web leads. Um, we've done a lot of research, some of which you may have found uh, out there on the web by now, Eric, that shows that if you don't respond to a web lead within the first five minutes, your chances of ever contacting that lead go down precipitously. It's, a, it's, it's about a 400% increase, actually, if you do it in the first five minutes. Wow. After that, it really just falls off of a cliff. So we've designed systems that allow us to respond to any kind of lead that comes in very, very quickly and then persistently over time as well. Got it. So let's say I'm a small, let's say I'm a smaller technology startup. You know, we we probably have a seed round, maybe approaching a Series A. You know, ten employees or so. You know, probably can't afford a lot of crazy like sales software. I mean, how much is the question is how much does inside sales typically run? Because you need to have Salesforce too, right? Yeah, yeah. It uh, it does work ideally with Salesforce. Uh, we do have our basic uh, lead management platform that would allow a small business to get up and running uh, with or without Salesforce, but we certainly recommend that people uh, leverage a full CRM like uh, like Salesforce. Uh, that said, our own software runs just a little over $100 a, a month per user. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, when you factor in the difference that that makes in both call volumes and the efficacy of those calls, in other words, contact rates for people that you're able to reach to, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a no-brainer uh, ROI that, that you can turn out very, very quickly. So the, the customer example I cited earlier, Double Dutch, uh, is a little bigger than you talked about, um, but they only have about 35 uh, reps at this point in time. But they've set them all up with no telephony spend, um, and meaning no telephony infrastructure. So the way our system works, it actually places a call to our telephony cloud um, when you click on dial inside the app, and then it sends a call back to that person. So they sort of solve for some of their cost questions by just issuing everyone Samsung Galaxy S4s. That's the only telephony infrastructure they have running for their salespeople is mobile phones. So they they, they justified some of the, the cost expense, the, some of the expense they would have to make in our software by decreasing spend on traditional you know IT telephony infrastructure. I love it. Interesting for small companies. 
I love it. No, that that tip that I mean that solves everything right there. I mean, so one hundred one hundred dollars per user a month. Um, you know, but there's always some kind of some, some setup involved. You know, what what do I need to pay all in if I have like three reps? Yeah, we we tend to offer the the basic implementation services as a part of that package. So it may knock that that there's a sort of a first time setup fee. May knock that up a little bit, but it really is a one time fee. We typically set most companies up within one day. And often it can be done uh, via GoToMeeting or, or Skype or something like this as, a, as opposed to having to send somebody on site. Uh, in the double dutch example I just talked about, the sales manager himself did the full setup himself. No, no IT weenies required. All right. No weenies. That's good. <laughs> um, so you know, let's backtrack a little bit. You know, you talked about running conferences for Microsoft and you talk about how you guys run conferences or you know, do a lot of events right now. So, you know… Can you walk me through the process for for you, like you know, in terms of like setting up a conference and all the the nitty gritty that goes into it? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, we're we're very driven by business results. So our only purpose in doing an event is to generate demand and leads. It's uh, it's wonderful to have a presence and awareness and all of those sort of softer marketing terms. But at the end of the day, if we're not delivering uh, leads back to our sales teams, then we're not getting our job done. So sort of everything we do. Um, is in service to that end goal, and we tend to set very specific goals uh, in advance for any event, not only on total lead volume, but then on what percentage of those are quality leads. In other words, they go through the sales qualification process. We call that a TQO or a total qualified opportunity. So one of the main things I see people not do is actually set very strict targets for themselves uh, in advance. Um, the, the second thing that, uh, that we do is around physical setup. We actually have a, a playbook where we can tell you where to, where to place people in and around your booth to capture the most traffic. And it requires an aggressive stance. Uh, you can't just uh, hang back and wait for somebody to come up and talk to you like a, a wallflower uh. at a prom or something. So um, you know, we, we require that our reps be very in, engaged and engaging uh, to try to drive people in. And then the, the last tip that I'd give to anybody setting up, um, especially for trade show style events, is that same immediacy I talked about on the, on the web, we apply that to events. So we actually capture those leads real time. If we don't capture them electronically, we take an iPhone picture of a business card. It goes back to uh, headquarters where it goes into our business development queue. And we often blow people away by calling a lead back the same day they visited our booth before they make it back to the office, before they go anywhere else, while we're still top of mind. So immediacy in, in reaching out to your contacts is just as important at an event uh, as it is uh, off of the web. But most people uh, don't, don't perform quite that, uh, quite that highly as it relates to their management of event needs. Yeah. And just to let the audience know, so you guys can get a picture. I mean, you know, I was at Growth Beat and I, I saw the inside sales, you know, the booth. And it's exactly like you said, right? There's there's a more aggressive stance, you know. There's guys wearing suits; they look sharper than the other people from the other booths, and it, it just stands out, right? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's exa- I talked to two reps actually, and they reached out to me immediately. So it, it's it's a pretty good experience, and you can tell that these guys are serious. So um, I think when it comes to you know attending events, I think everyone can take a page from what you guys are doing. Um, so you know, we talked a little about, a little bit about attending events, uh, you know, having these booths. What about you know you throwing these big conferences and things like that? You know, how do you go about well, I guess let's, uh, that's that's a loaded question. I mean, how do you get the right people first? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great question. We just did our first a big customer conference. We did uh, an event we called IS Accelerate, 
uh, at a beautiful resort called the Montage in, uh, in Deer Valley, just outside of Park City, Utah. So uh, number one, we had a little bit of a benefit. It's a spectacular five-star kind of a property, and, uh, and I will uh, throw out props to my CEO for uh, being kind enough to shell out the, uh, the dollars necessary to attract people with a great venue like that. So, you know, that's certainly uh, a factor, but it's not the only one. The, the biggest thing is reaching out uh, early and gaining commitment from both customers and prospects to come on board. And uh, we, were, we took the same kind of approach that we do to everything else. For our customers, we try to be very generous with them and make it as um, affordable as possible for them to come out to, to be at the event. And in the end, it, uh, it proved very successful for us. Got it. Okay. Do you have any resources that you looked at, you know, that you can share with the audience where they can actually learn how to throw these events? Yeah, we do actually have a, a few documents and, uh, and and items that we've created out there. We definitely have some killer uh, trade show tips in particular, and I can take very little credit for most of these. Our founder and president is a, a gentleman by the name of Ken Krogh, and he's really written the definitive playbook on event and trade show. Uh, tactics. So um, as a follow-up to this, Eric, I'll be sure to get you uh, the proper web links and so on that you can get back out to your audience. On yeah, that. sounds good. That would be super helpful. Um, great. So let's dive back into let's, let's dive back into the sales world right now. So, you know, what are what are some trends, some other trends that you see in sales today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I see just a general trend towards inside. You know, you mentioned smaller companies and, you know, if you dial back the, the clock, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Generally speaking, you would see people um, start with a field sales force first, and then eventually they might get around to, to building something inside. I think that that play has been turned on its head now, and certainly most of the smaller venture-backed kind of corporations, they start inside and then go out. Uh, you know, not a lot of people know this, but if you happen to have read Benioff's book from Salesforce, you know, the first six years of Salesforce.com was only an inside selling force. So one of the biggest trends we see is just really trying to push that inside that professional sales done remotely model as far as it can possibly go. And we have a number of customers and we ourselves have actually closed some seven figure deals without having to have a face-to-face -face interaction with the customer. And so things are going well beyond, you know, just transactional, very small uh, engagements that can be done um, professionally in this kind of a manner. And it's, you know, this is all a part of a broader spectrum of things I see happening with consumers in general. You know, uh, Google a few years ago uh, turned a, a coined a term called ZMOT for zero moment of truth. And really, that was about how, you know, educated um, customers were becoming before they ever even laid eyes on your product and certainly way before they ever conversed with the salesperson. And I think about my own car buying uh, experience recently. I had done so much research that by the time I showed up at the dealership, it was really just to make the purchase. It was nothing, nothing more than that. And I think business to business selling is moving in that direction as well. There's such a hyper educated buyer these days that, uh, th that it's incumbent upon marketing to, and inside sales functions to take people much further down the funnel. Uh, it doesn't eliminate altogether by any stretch the need for business to business closers that are out in the field. Um, but it lessens that requirement for sure. Right. Okay. No, that's that's uh, that's great. Uh, cool. So you know, moving moving into the 
you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at this, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about sales tools besides inside sales, you know, their sales force. I mean, you know, what else do you think are some must use sales tools? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Salesforce itself, but I think there are a variety of them. You know, we, we are a fast growing high tech company in our, uh, in our own right. And, um, I'll give a few different shout outs, uh, for those events that, that we mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm a big fan of using a mobile event app, um, from our friends at, at double Dutch. It cre- adds a social and a collaborative edge live, uh, in real time to managing events. So it's not just the event agenda on your iPhone. It goes a lot further than that and really increases the level of uh, engagement of the people at the event. So big, big shout out to those guys. Um, we, we like the work that, uh, that we're seeing done by the folks at DocuSign for contract management and helping salespeople move documents back and forth and tracking them through the process. Um, also pricing and quoting tools from companies like Aptis uh, are, are terrific tools. Sales compensation and, uh, and training modules from companies like Sabo or Calidus Cloud are, are great. So really, in our view, there's, a, there's this whole ecosystem of apps that are forming uh, around what we call the sales acceleration space between traditional marketing automation and, and sales automation like CRMs. Got it. Okay. And let, let's, define, let's define what sales acceleration means. I think that would be helpful to the audience too. Sure. Yeah. To, to, to go back to the statement that I just made, if you sort of looked at a traditional sales funnel and you looked at the top of it, the big front top end of the funnel is where the marketing automation vendors play, the Marketos and Eloquas and exact targets of the, the world. And if you look at the bottom end of the funnel, kind of catching all of that information, storing it uh, for reporting purposes and, and so forth, you have the CRM vendors, Salesforce, Microsoft, uh, SAP, Oracle, etc. And in the middle, there really hasn't been all that all that much. And suddenly, in the past sort of three or four years, literally dozens and dozens of companies have emerged to take something that is very top of funnel, um, maybe a web lead or something like that, and accelerate its path down to the bottom of funnel and moving it into into closure. And that's this big space that we call sales acceleration. I'm sure analysts and other pundits will come up with their own terminology for it, but that's how, how we refer to it. And in our mind, it's kind of a race to, to sort of coalesce all of those different capabilities that exist there um, and, and really form a new market that, that's going to exist in between those two. No, I, I think sales acceleration is the perfect way to the perfect way to put it. And you know, we just signed on for Salesforce, so you're going to see us sign on soon too. Um, so you know, the, you're probably one of the most. I mean, I mean you know, you, you've had so much experience. You've been with all these big enterprise companies. I mean, you know, have you have you spotted any any specific trends? I mean, you've worked at you know Microsoft. You've worked at uh, Citrix. I mean, is there in, in terms of struggles? You know, has, has there been one similar struggle you faced every single time when when helping these companies? Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's been one that I've uh, faced universally, but I, I I would say I think that the the transition to social um, has been difficult for large enterprises because it's a um, suddenly you went from having a very tightly controlled message. Um, for marketing communications in particular, to having the whole world able to say whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. Um, and if, if, if sort of um, you know, uh, leveraged to the fullest, that can be a wonderful thing and really be an accelerant for a company's marketing and sales motion. 
but conversely, it can take things down the tubes just as fast. Yep. So I think companies that had very sophisticated and kind of traditional um, PR functions in particular really struggled with that, that movement because suddenly a lot of the control was leaving their hands and moving into the hands of customers, partners, um, employees, ex-employees, um, you know, et cetera. And all of those things can either be wonderful for your future sales and marketing efforts or they could be terrible for them. So figuring out how to harness the power of social, I think, has been a, a challenging thing for, for large enterprises to figure out. Uh, conversely, it's come kind of easy to smaller companies that sort of grew up social. Um, and I think that's been a, uh, a benefit for companies like ours. Uh, we were recently recognized as being, you know, one of the best, one of the very best in terms of leveraging social. But it's easier to do when you when you don't have, you know, years and years of established processes of doing things in a very different way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean, pretty much inside sales right now, even though you guys are so big right now, it's still you guys still kind of function like a technology startup in terms of how quickly you guys move, right? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, sometimes to uh, sometimes to our detriment. But uh, yeah, absolutely, we're going very, very fast. And when you're growing as fast as we are, I've been at the company 15 months now, and you know we've added 300 employees during that time. And like I said, we started at 160 or so when I was uh, first hired. When you're going that fast, your business processes, your systems, they just they can't keep up with the rate of. Uh, of change, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of organized chaos most days at uh, at InsideSales.com, but it also makes it a ton of fun because it's uh, it certainly changes day by day and moment by moment. Great. So going back, I mean, you know, I said a lot of you know startup marketers watch this show, and then maybe someone wants to go down your trajectory, wants to work at the, at the enterprise, you know, executive level. So you know, what, what's one thing these you know, what's one thing someone like that needs to do to get to where you are? Yeah, great, great question. I, I mean, I think to me, it's it's diversity of experiences. Uh, you, you know, I I went through it kind of quickly, but if you if you listen closely, I spent an awful long time in sales. I spent a number of years in product, and then I ultimately you know landed in uh, in in key marketing roles, and that was very intentional on on my part. I think having worked in sales, I have a degree of empathy for that function that a lot of marketeers maybe don't possess and having led product and product management organizations, I, I know what they're up against. And also as a marketeer, I can tell a little bit more about how far along the product really is versus how far along the product guys might want to tell me that it is at times. So I can be very honest and transparent with our um, prospects and, and customers. So I think getting a variety of experiences along the way, being open to taking roles that are maybe outside of your core discipline area or outside of the geo that you live in, any of those kinds of experiences will ultimately make you just a much, much better executive, whether it's in marketing or any other discipline. Okay. And, you know, transitioning from a sales role to, to a product, a product marketing role is fundamentally different. You know, how do you, you know, how do you start doing that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, a couple of things. So, you know, masked underneath the, uh, you know, in sales, I did um, a lot of systems engineering work when I was first, you know, coming out of school and I was, I was young. So I got pretty technically proficient and tried to continue to hone those skills throughout, uh, throughout my career. So as I got opportunities along the way um, as, a, as a product person to engage with the marketing team, to engage directly in 
sales efforts with customers. I continued to to do those things and, and push them forward. So don't let the fact that you sit in a dev organization mean that you never talk to not never talk to a customer. Don't let the fact that you sit in a corporate marketing HQ job mean that you never go on a sales call. Um, and so you know the more you can try to. Um, benefit those other organizations, those other functional organizations, the more you'll be in the consideration set for something when, when it comes your time. Okay. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Wow. Jeez. That's a deep one there. That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, I think the probably the biggest one would just be uh, openness. And, uh, and, and that means uh, with regard to what your job role is, it really applies probably most of all, and, and, and I applied this a little later in my own career, um, to, to your geographical location. I think I've seen an awful lot of people shut down amazing opportunities when they're young and maybe unattached and before they have children and things like that, um, uh, simply because they've got to gotta move somewhere. And, and to me, uh, being open around that is, uh, you know, just makes the possibilities limitless. So, you know, if you're uh, if you're young and you have that opportunity, that's the time to travel. That's the time to move someplace different. It's the time to embrace change before it genuinely does get a little bit harder uh, a little later in life. So, I, I definitely pass that guidance on to anybody. All right, love it. And what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Man. Um, I, you know, I'm a little spoiled on uh, on some of on some of these things, um, both because I'm a bit of a, a, a geek myself, and because I'm able to uh, I'm blessed to have a, uh, an executive admin now who's probably the best productivity hack of all because uh, she makes makes me look smarter and on time and in my calendar uh, each and every day. Um, but but I think you know probably the biggest one that uh, that I would say that I use in um, in my day-to-day life um, is, is I'm just, I'm a very active guy with, uh, with social. Um, and so I, I leverage social and instant messaging uh, as opposed to more formal means of communication uh, a lot more frequently than most of my contemporaries got, I mean, basically guys my age who've been doing this, this a while. And, and it allows me to do very short bursts of communication, whether that's one-to-one or to the to the masses without having to go through the formality of, uh, of email or, or even a telephone call or anything else. So, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of leveraging those, those tools to keep things crisp and keep them moving. Okay, great. And uh, you know, I, I echo your sentiments on the executive assistant. It does, it does wonders if you have it implemented correctly. Um, final question, what's one book you'd recommend to the audience? Wow. Um, Geez, I, I well, I, I'm going to cheat and maybe give you a, a couple of couple of authors here. Fine. So I'm a huge fan of uh, all things Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, of Blink um, and uh, and many of his other many of his other books. So uh, I think he's just a terrific author on a on a number of different levels. Um, I'm also a, uh, a a big fan of uh, of uh, leadership type of uh, of books and and really trying to adhere to a particular discipline around leadership. So I'm a big fan of uh, a book called An American Journey. It's uh, written by Colin Powell a number of years ago. And part of those event jobs I mentioned earlier allowed me to have the opportunity to uh, engage 
uh, with people like him and, uh, and, and get to know him on a personal level as well. Um, so uh, I, I'd, I'd love to give uh, him and his book a great shout out there. Okay, perfect. And these will all be noted in the actual blog post just so the audience knows. Um, but great, you know, Mick Hollison from Inside Sales. I think everyone needs to check it out if you have a sales organization or if you're planning to build one out, definitely check the, you know, their YouTube channel. But uh, Mick, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Eric. My pleasure. All right, take care.